Simply Financial with Christopher Calandra, Certified Financial Planner, is an innovative, comprehensive, informative, and cutting-edge podcast that discusses financial topics ranging from personal finance, economics, politics, and personal growth. Simply Financial will cover intriguing and thought-provoking questions so that the listener can simply increase their financial IQ. Welcome to the final episode of season number three. This is episode 53. I do this show weekly. Somehow how the calendar fell, uh, I ended up doing 53 episodes this year, so I worked incredibly hard. Maybe next year there'll only be 51 and I'll even things out. Uh, this is the Simply Financial Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Calandra. And I have a returning guest today, uh, my friend, John Heyer. He is a tax reduction attorney and accountant. He's an author, a real estate investor who speaks regularly on investing in real estate. And we are going to talk about some of the uh, best books that we read in 2019. So, John, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, glad to be here. So, how many books, John, do you think you read in 2019? Mm, probably, I mean, if you don't include work and periodicals and all that, probably about 70 which is sort of disappointing. In college, I used to read so much more, but now you know how it is. We have to make a living, so you can't always have your nose between the pages. Yes. So I have a question for you. In, in today's, uh, let's say, modern age, um, I listen Ugh. to several books during the year. So I have a combination of books that I, I read, uh, usually from the library, a book I'll purchase, where I physically have the book in hand, but I also listen to a lot of books. I have a subscription to audible.com. I have for several years, and I listen to books. So here's my question. If you say, Chris, how many books did you read? Do I literally have to tell you how many I read, or do I also include books that I listen to? I would say each separately. They're a little different, and I admire I'm, I'm glad you can get something out of Audible. I can't. I, I mean, I just don't retain it. Really? Yeah, and, and the only time I would do it anyway is when I'm walking the dog or driving. And now in Puerto Rico, I don't drive much, which is good because they're homicidal about that here. Um, <laughs> and then walking the dog, I might listen to somebody. I just don't retain it. For me, it depends, John, a little bit on the subject matter. I seem to really like um, history books. Uh, listening to history-oriented books, and we'll talk about some that I listened to this year, because uh, if it's a history book, it's kind of a storytelling about a, a, a figure or a battle or a, a war or something like that. Um, I like the listening part because it's almost like storytelling, whereas if it's something about my craft on investments or something like that, I'll tend not to be able to listen to that, and I'll fall into... Your thinking. Okay, that's a I'm good not point. Retain it. I've been. I've only listened to fairly serious books. Um, I, I I love history like you do. So I'm gonna have to try and listen to a history book and see if I do better with that. All right, that sounds good. I um I wanted to ask you of the books you listened to um this year, um or read this year, I should say. Which ones come to mind? What are some of your um some of the better ones you uh, read this year? So I read lots of history and biography, very little business, 
a fair amount of sci-fi and historical fiction to relax. And then once in a while, I don't know what you would call this category, um, kind of motivational but kind of human nature. So two books I read in that category, um, Grit by Angela Duckworth. And, and a friend of mine sent it to me and said, I think of you when I read this book, which was a great compliment after I read the book. I wasn't so sure until I read it. Um, <laughs> and, and, and it's about how much perseverance and consistency, a sense of purpose, and really a lost art in our soft and effete modern age of just toughing things through and sticking to it. And the woman does studies. Um, she actually started trying to prove that things like that. Um, so <laughs> Okay, so we're just picking back up? Yes, please. Yeah, so Grit by Angela Duckworth, and I was saying it's, it's a lost art in the modern world of toughing through things. Everyone is such a delicate, sensitive little flower, and we all have a reason to be a loser. And, and I think Duckworth, my recollection is she's a psychologist and started off with the society did it. It's not your personal responsibility or fault. But she's one of these last remaining people who has intellectual integrity. And if the data contradicts what she wants to believe, she doesn't double-check the data. She double-checks what she wants to believe. And really, it brought her around to personal responsibility and a decision to go forward no matter what and to take the hit and tough it through. What we used to call character matters more than we, we certainly give it credit for nowadays. So it gets away from the thumb-sucking narrative of the left-wing losers who think everyone who is not a dead white male has an excuse to be a loser, and they enable that inferior attitude. This woman's like, you know what, tough it up, stick it through, go get it. And, and she really backs it up, and it's also engagingly well-written, given the subject matter. A related book was by a Navy SEAL, um, oh, what is his name, Goggins, I think it's David Goggins, wrote a book, Can't Hurt Me. And man, okay. I'll tell you what, every time I start feeling sorry for myself and boo-hoo and I have this sickness or this hurts or I have that issue, you know, I go read that book and see what this guy lived through and what he put himself through, and I immediately just man up and stop whining and sucking my thumb. I mean, even by SEAL standards, this guy's insane. I learned about him because I read the book by, um, I forget the guy's name, He's he is a sort of comedy type writer. He wrote a book called Training with Seal. And he wouldn't give the name of the seal until the last sentence of the book. And then he said his name is David Goggins, which made Goggins famous. And people okay. started learning about him. And the toughness and grit. I mean, the guy ran a marathon and still came in. I mean, he finished it. And it was one of these 100-mile desert insanity types of things. Okay. Um, and he did that on a broken leg. So what's my excuse? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, to tie, tie this in, actually a couple of quick things is I started reading Grit. I know it's um, very popular, and it seems like it's right up my alley. For whatever reason, I started reading it, and perhaps it was just a mental space I was in at the time. But I, I really wasn't into it, and I put it down. But uh, after your recommendation, I'm, I'm going to pick that uh, back up. And... That was the first thing. I think I even forgot about the second thing. No, I know the second point I was going to make. I know 
um, Navy SEAL books are kind of in vogue now. For a long time, Navy SEALs um, didn't write books and weren't in movies, but that seems to have evolved a little bit over the last couple of years. But part of the reason that I like history books, aside from being a history buff, is that you read these stories, especially, I'll say, World War II era stories. And my goodness, you think about what these men went through in World War II as an example, and you got nothing to complain about. I mean, nothing. And I come up with the same message that you just spoke about, thinking about uh, these guys going off to war in, in Europe or the Pacific. So um, you're a history buff. Or how you read it? Did you read any good history books this year? Oh, my God, a ton of them. Um, I can't even remember all of them. I just read one about, and I forget the name of it. It was a fairly recent one. I mean, you can still see it in the airport bookshelf, which is where I got it about the retreat of the 1st Marine Division and the other elements, but it was primarily about the 1st Marine Division from Frozen Chosen in Korea, um, the folly of MacArthur that he got them surrounded by the Chinese and the denial he was in about the Chinese coming over. And the Marines were outnumbered 20 to 1, utterly surrounded, but due to the, their, their own toughness and training and the foresight of their commander, um, God, and I wish I remembered his name. I'm remiss for not remembering his name because I think it was his surname was Smith, Prince. I think yes. something, Edward Prince Smith, something along those lines. What a general, even by Marine standards. My God, what a man. And, and, I, think what those guys that, went and I think he has that famous quote where his uh, Marines were surrounded and he says something to the effect of, we're in a good position, we could uh, attack in any direction and kill the enemy. Yeah, they, they, they've, they've surrounded us. They've got us right where they want us. God help them. And we're not retreating. We're just attacking in the other direction. I think yeah. the second one was Chesty Puller, who was also in there. Oh, yes, um, you're right. And you're right. just, again, the toughness of these guys and the odds they were against, it was Oliver Smith, Oliver Prince Smith, the Marine General. What a genius. Okay. And what great, what amazing men he led. I think that book, it's an easy short read. Right, as compared to, I read both Washington and Hamilton by Chernoff, Ron Chernoff, who I think is a great writer. I, I read his book, um, Dreadnought, about the British-German arms race before World War I when I was a teenager, and I reread that book about every seven years. Um, and so everything he puts out, I read. His research, his depth on Washington and Hamilton, they're long books. I mean, these are Oh, like my God. Pictures. I was just about to say, I mean, you're, you, you show courage, courage just having read those two books. I mean, those are thick, um, deep dives into Washington and Hamilton. I have not tackled them. I would like to, but I'm a little intimidated, so I'm thoroughly impressed. It's, it's, you can't put it down the way it's written. You know, it wasn't this year that I read it, but you know who else did a brilliant job? Um, there's a science fiction writer who's a Civil War buff by the name of William Forston, and he and Newt Gingrich, and this is a few years ago, co-wrote three books on the American Revolution. And if they don't make you weep, and also, I mean, weep both for what those people did and also for what we've done with it, um, what they went through, the miracles, and, and the writing, because Gingrich is a very well-renowned well historian. He knows his history. And yes. Forston's ability to write and put it into more of a shorter, more easily read narrative and storyline. But, for example, I read every time um, Washington's troops retreating from New York 
under, literally under the guns of the British ships, and a fog came up and concealed them. Uh, it, it, it's, wow. What, what yeah. again, yeah. What, what men these were and what they did and what they sacrificed. Um, and then, of course, I get upset with what we're doing with it. Uh, so, so, John, doubling back to um, the Korean War, um, Korean War always interests me. My father served in Korea, um, not during the hot war, but during the Vietnam era when it was sort of a low-grade battle. But my dad served on the DMZ, and my uncle, who I was close to, was actually a Marine at Chosen. So I enjoyed reading about the Korean War. Um, so one of my favorite books, again, it's not this year, so we're a little off topic. I read it last year, but it's Devotion by Adam Makos. You familiar with that book? I'm not. Tell me about it. So it is about uh, fighter squadron, aircraft carrier-based fighter squadron during the Korean War, providing close air support for the troops on the ground, including during those dark days of the Chosen Reservoir and the retreat to uh, the south. And the central, I don't want to give it away because I'm, I'm really hoping you read it, but the central story is about a couple of guys in the squadron who become the best of friends. Um, and the central story, the climactic element of this story um, is just right out of Hollywood, where if you saw it in the movies, John, you would say, oh my God, I can't believe these people make this stuff up in Hollywood. It's really gripping, very well written, where you feel so strongly about the characters in the book. And uh, it's probably the best book I've read in the last two years. So, um, oh, wow. Devotion okay, that's saying by, by Makos. And um, this year, some of my favorite books... So you mentioned you, you, you don't have a favorite business book from 2019. Let me look at my list here. What did I read? Uh, when I read business books, I read for the more the message and less the detail unless I really like it. I did put down here, um, speaking of the Marines, because this is one of their mottos, leaders eat last. Yes. And I was really impressed with that. Um, the guy wrote another book called Why that, that I have to go read. But I read Leaders Eat Last. And it was, again, one of those, I was just at the airport and I saw it and I'm like, oh, you know, let's see what's in it. And I couldn't put it down. It was really engaging about just remember, people have gotten so focused on make money at any cost. And I think they forget about the long term, the life of a company and keeping it alive and making it into something, making it last as opposed to just meeting the last quarterly statement and also doing what's right. My God, just be a human being. Is it so hard? Well said. I think uh, I read a very good book by Daniel Pink this year uh, titled When and so much of what I read in the personal growth category over the years, John, focuses more on the how-to, how to win friends and influence people, how to think and grow rich, that sort of uh, teaching these books do for you. When is a little bit about the science behind our internal clocks on when to do things um, during the day, during the calendar, some of it depends on your personality type, uh, but it was a really fascinating read and kind of a different, a different take on being efficient and trying to have personal growth. And it's helped me work-wise in terms of my team and I, like when I tackle 
tasks and when I have difficult conversations, uh, that's, been, that's been really helpful. Um, so that's When by Daniel Pink. You familiar with that one at all? No, that sounds like a fun one. I'm writing these down. Have you read anything by Nassim Taleb? He's the <laughs> one who did Black Swan and Skin in the Game. Yes. And, I mean, that's so dense. It counts as triple the thickness for reading because you've got to go reread. Oh, my God. And so I haven't finished it yet. I'm working my way through Skin in the Game. And, of course, I love how irreverent he is. And he pisses off all the right people, which especially academics, who just, just deserve to be angry. He's um, so he's incredibly so, brilliant, but also and irreverent. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I read The Black Swan years ago, and it, it, it was uh, such a tough read because he's so smart. It's so much work just to keep up, at least for me, to keep up with him. So uh, I'll have to check that out, Skin in the Game. You, the, uh, are you familiar with uh, – oh, go ahead, your turn. No, I'm I was going to so say my favorite author came. Uh, yeah, my favorite author came out with a book um, uh, late this year, Malcolm Gladwell, which I read, uh, Talking to Strangers. Are you a Malcolm Gladwell well, fan? I've read some of his stuff. I don't care for his politics and how he tries to nudge you in that direction. Other than that, I think he's brilliant. Really, it's a lot like who's the guy who wrote um, Money Game and several other books like yeah, that? Michael, Michael Lewis, Lewis. Similarly. He's a he's, brilliant he's, man and a brilliant writer, but he's, he's just openly political. Well, you know what? It, a lot of his books were less so, but lately he's become more of a political figure, including his most recent book. I read an excerpt of it, but too political for me with Michael Lewis. But, you know, he, re, he wrote The Blind Side, Moneyball, Liar's Poker, The Big Short, which I think is a definitive book on the financial crisis, brilliantly written. Well, no, you know what? The big short is one-third absolutely right. When he talks about Wall Street's role and what they did, it's compelling. Yes. Um, but, but he pretends government had nothing to do with it. So you've got to read John true. Allison. John Allison, who was um, CEO of, I think it was BB&T, he yes. wrote a great book on how the government caused the crash. It was the rules. The, the banks and, and brokerage houses and so on followed the rules that the government set. And those rules, everyone has talked about in school for a long time about encouraging bad behavior, um, about rewarding, or what is it, privatizing profit, socializing loss, which is exactly what they did. Moral hazard is the dry term we used to use back in school in economics to describe all that. And I think it really came home to roost. And then I don't know if anyone's written about the other third of the component, which is the no. normal American. That, you that know, is what happened fair. to personal responsibility? What happened to that personal responsibility? And, you know, you have a responsibility to pay your loan, which now with Bernie out there screaming, you know, you don't have to pay your loans. Warren, I mean, and, and this was the precursor to it of well, you borrowed the money, you have to pay it back, and shouldn't you decide and, and look and think about, can I actually pay this? And I think that's what Lewis missed. And so while I like him, and while I really like uh, Gladwell, I think he sometimes a little more subtly engages in similar things. So I love it, both for the language and the content, but I do read it with a grain of salt. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. Um, that's fair. I, uh, I would assign more of that to Michael Lewis, especially now, than Malcolm Gladwell. But um, I, I see what you're saying. And before I brought up Talking to Strangers, you were going to mention something. Do you recall what it was? 
talking this. No, I, that must have been it. There were some other books that, let me see here. I have my list. Oh, oh, so I'll tell you who I gained a lot of respect for. I read his book, and I couldn't stop. I blew through it like crazy. Um, Senator Ben Sass wrote two books. The first one was The Vanishing American Adult. Brilliant. I mean, he talks about how to raise kids, his experience raising kids, what is changing. And it's not quite, I'm not going to give it away, it's not quite what you would think it would be. That man's education is unbelievable. I mean, the fact that he's a conservative after getting a doctorate in history, I think it was Yale. <laughs> and you can tell he knows history. Uh, he really understands and knows history and learns from it because that's the point. You know, people have not changed. Tech has, but people have not. And so that book was really brilliant in terms of how did we used to bring up kids and what has been changing and is changing even more dramatically. Uh, it was brilliant. And then he put another book called Them, and it's about the increasing polarization and us versus them. And he has he turned me on to some notions that I wasn't thinking about at the time in terms of the effect of social media, in terms of how you think and what it's missing and what it has and how it caters to some of our most base instincts. And I think we have a sense of that. But again, he really got into just the lack of human connection and what we're substituting for it. He's a brilliant man. I really like him. Now, it helps that I really like his politics as well. But he's, he's more like a Daniel Patrick Moynihan, whose politics I did not like, but whose intellect and intellectual honesty I did like. Sure. That surprises me. I wouldn't think that you necessarily would hold Ben Sass politically in high regard. He's often described as a rhino, Republican in name only type politician. And... Uh, I don't know, if I was betting, not that I would bet over this, um, I, I would think that you wouldn't be such a fan of his. So that surprises me a bit. He's a true conservative. Um, I think what he has done is he doesn't like Trump. And, and he views Trump as a populist and a, and a horrible personal example for everyone's kids. And so he kind of quietly lets some things happen. But there are times when... Trump creates precedents that are going to be with us for a very long time that is a matter of principle he disagrees with. And so while I support Trump in the sense of, well, good Lord, have you seen what the alternative is? Right. Um, there are precedents, I think far more by the Democrats, that have been fed right back to them. Like this impeachment thing means everybody gets impeached from now on. This is crazy. I, um, I, and it creates precedents. Or when you get rid of the filibuster, just a procedural thing that's huge, and now they're paying for it with judge selection. Um, and so I think Sass is extremely principled. Now, I might disagree with him sometimes, because in politics, you always have to have a balance between principle and practical, what works. And if you go too far in either direction, there are problems with it. And sometimes it may not be possible to reconcile the two. Would you like to lose a, as a gentleman, or would you like to win as a thug? Man, that's not a friendly, happy choice to make. No, and that, that seems to be uh, a big question in our body politic today. So I'm going to check out Ben Sass's books. What other books um, come to mind that you want to um, bring up to me as well as the oh. people that are listening? But let's be honest, this episode's more about me getting book ideas for 2020. Um, let me look here. So two of my favorite political writers, Kevin Williamson writes for National Review, 
as a columnist, he's a libertarian amongst conservatives, but he's, he's something I don't normally put in the same sentence. He's a practical libertarian, because most of them are like communists. They're so pie-in-the-sky theory, and so they have such a hard time with truly human nature and reality. And this guy really gets a, I mean, he really understands humans. Uh, so his writing, it's called a book called The Smallest Minority. So he's like, yeah, I'm all about minority rights. My definition of minority, the smallest minority, is a minority of one, the individual. Right. And it's a very good, it's not a happy book. He does not like democracy or does not like the unwashed masses. Um, I believe he describes them frequently as Twitter-bound um, feces-flinging rage monkeys. <laughs> All right. I even know it's not a happy book. book. I will, I will check. It, it, it is hilarious. I mean, he is a good writer. And Jonah Goldberg. Um, Jonah Goldberg is a brilliant writer for National Review, more of a classic conservative and he wrote a book called, uh, where did I put it here, The Suicide of the West. So as you can imagine, it's not happy. But let me tell you what, the first, I don't know, 200 pages, in order to talk to you about what the West is, he talks about the miracle, capital T, capital M. And that is such a good way to describe it. We think it's normal. We live in it. Our society is a miracle. It's so rare in history what we have. And what we're becoming is much more common. But he describes the prosperity it's created, the, the wellness, the good living, the health, you name it, and what caused that, what created it. And so just that description, and then he kind of goes in a similar direction to Williamson, um, but here's what we're doing with it, and you know, here's what we need to do to try and preserve it. So he's not a fan of populism, Trump's included, uh, but very, very thoughtful writer when it comes to why our society was, I don't know that it still is, but was truly exceptional and frankly superior. Very good. You mentioned this early on, John, when we were talking that, uh, I think you referred to the, the Dreadnought, um, Dreadnought book. Did I pronounce that right? Mm -hmm. um, that you yeah. reread it every few years. Um, are there books that you regularly reread because they're um, so um, important to you? There's one called, and there are several under the name. I think this one was written in the early 90s, The Wealth and Poverty of Nations. And this guy goes into Europe and technology back when he starts with, look, China and the Islamic Empire was way ahead of us on scholarship and gunpowder and paper and everything else. And why did Europe surpass them? Called The Wealth and Poverty of Nations. I read that about every seven years. Of course, Atlas Shrugged, I read about every five did you like the movie adaptation? Um, oh, my God, no. It was, I mean, they tried. The problem is this. What Ayn Rand expresses is much better expressed in writing than on screen. One of Ayn Rand's problems, for all that I love her logic and her understanding of economics, like the communists, she thinks economics are everything, and there's way more to people than that. In fact, she tried to implement some of her ideas in person, and she was personally just a miserable, unhappy, messed up person. And I think it shows in those characters that you can't just be striding purposefully everywhere and be creating wealth. I mean, that's important, but there really is more to it. Very uh, good. So you so sure that, do have um, a wide range of things that you um, 
that you read. Um, how do you keep track? Do you keep I track don't. of what you read someplace, like I do in Goodreads? It's a very popular app. You know I need to get into that. Here's what I, I, I have memory for bits and pieces. If you ask me what I learned from a book, big picture, I can tell you. If you ask me about the details, they're, they're gone. I read so much, I just can't retain it all. What triggered me was the move to Puerto Rico. Um, my wife made me get rid of 20% of my books, uh, which was 1,000 books. And oh, my so goodness. I have 4,000 books showing up on a container sometime. I don't, I don't know exactly when, it being Puerto Rico and all. Um, and so going through triggered some things that I wanted to reread. I just reread. It's a rather dry one. I'd have to find the author, but it's called The German Army, 1939 to 1945. My grandmother bought it for me back in high school. I think I was a freshman, and I love it. I mean, it's, he's so contrary. He talks about Lytle Hart and Fuller and their theories of armored warfare and why the Germans really didn't implement it and why their, their strategy was really just more classical German encirclement, um, kind of like the Battle of Cannae in Rome, which is what the Germans modeled themselves on. And they didn't really actually understand armored warfare, except for maybe Guderian and a few of them who were silenced. And they also got into their relationship with Hitler and how Hitler ended up totally bringing them to heel and dominating them. It's just an extremely well-written book. I think I only read that one about every 10 years. But when we were moving, I saw it in there in the stack, and I just yanked it out and, and took that with me. So it made um, the cut? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's pretty specialized reading. You have to be really in the World War II and military history and chronology in general. Um, I'll tell you, I've read some good historical sci-fi. I enjoy that. Um, there are several good series on the Roman Empire that are, I, I think the definitive work of this genre is James Clavell, Shogun, which yeah. you read it and you're absorbed by the sex and the violence and he develops the characters and they're fun. And oh, by the way, just in case you don't know it, you're learning about the Tokugawa Shogunate and he just substitutes, substitutes the name Toronaga and then throws a Dutch sailor in to give the Westerners something to do and see. Um, those kinds of books are, I, I find fascinating because you can read and be entertained primarily with the sex and violence and character development, but you're still learning something if it's well-written. There's an old series that was started back in the 80s written by a retired brain surgeon. Her name was, I think she was an Australian by the name of Colleen McCullough. Um, and she was a brain surgeon back in the 60s when women didn't do that sort of thing, came into some money went and researched for 13 years in Italy and throughout the Mediterranean world and excavations and talking to historians and wrote these insane books, um, starting with Marius, Julius Caesar's uncle who reformed the Roman army, onward up through the, the, the three-way civil war after Caesar died. Wow. And, and, and the, you, they're so well written. The only problem is that she's so into it that she has all the names of the Romans down. And so she helpfully includes a thick glossary of all the Roman names <laughs> so that you can actually follow them. Um, that's a brilliant series. Uh, there's another guy. What's his name? Oh, my gosh. Oh, um, did you read Pillars of Fire, a.k.a. Thermopylae? Yes. That's a brilliant book. Do you remember the yeah. author's name? No, maybe I'm, maybe I'm misspeaking. I read a book, The Pillars of the Earth. 
Oh, okay, no, Stephen Pressfield. Oh, you got, if you haven't read this and you like history, Stephen Pressfield wrote this book probably 20 years ago. And his other books are good, but none of them ever touched this one. He, he wrote about a youth being brought up in Sparta, and he puts you there. I mean, he puts you there. And it's a Stephen Pressfield Gates of Fire, which is what Thermopylae means in English, is a, a huh? brilliant book. Um, what's another, There's one that was on the tip of my tongue that was similarly excellent. Oh, it'll hit me. I'm sorry. I'm dominating the talk too much. What do no, you? No, this is great. I'm going to have to um, not work next year and just read all of these wonderful <laughs> yeah. books. So, oh, um, oh, Harry Turtledove wrote one that's great for feminists or wannabe feminists. I had all my kids, my daughters, my son read it. Um, a, a, a California coddled, spoiled BMW driving feminist who's bitching about how bad her life is gets transported back to second century Rome. That's all I'm going to say, because I'd be spoilers otherwise. It's very good reading, and it really puts you there in terms of day-to-day living and should make you extremely thankful that whatever its flaws, we live when and where we do. Um, awesome. Just, so just, just so I picked the right guy to do this episode, because your, your depth of knowledge with books is tremendous. I think I'm pretty good and I pale in comparison to you. So um, I've, I've begun, I've started this summer is keeping track of the books that I've read in Goodreads and I've been pretty disciplined about it. You know, I remember a lot, but then as I go along and you talk to people, or you read something and it references something else that jogs your memory. So I have, I think, logged into Goodreads, I don't know, some 270 books that I've read so far. And then in the app, and this is not meant to be a commercial for the app, you also put in like, you know, books that you want to read. And that's where I've been just keeping track. So I'll take the books you gave me and I'll put them in uh, the books to read section of the Goodreads app. And this one, when I go to the library or I'm looking for a book, I could scroll through and uh, have some ideas at my disposal. And it works out pretty well. And so what are some of the books that you, you will be reading? Do you have uh, kind of a lineup of what's next over the next couple of weeks and months? You know, I have to get my Christmas selection. Let me see here. Let me go to Barnes & Noble and see what's on my nook. What All right. did I recently buy? And I'm therefore presumably going to read. But I like that Goodreads app. I'm going to have to get into that. Yeah, it should be right so, up your alley. And then actually, we could be friends on the app. I'm assuming you want to be my friend, but then you could oh, see yeah. what I'm reading and how I rate the books, and I could do the same for you. And so far, I only have two friends, so you'd be my third one. It'd be very exciting. Um, but that works out pretty well, too. I'll tell you a few books that I'm going to be reading is um, Bill O'Reilly has this series, um, the Killing series. It started with Killing yeah, Lincoln, yeah. Um, and I've read all of them. He has, I think, two more books under his contract, the next one, the next to last one in his contracted series with his publisher is going to be Killing Crazy Horse about the Indian Wars. So I'm looking forward to reading that. Uh, I'm also reading a business book. I'm going to be reading Raving Fans, which is a little bit uh, from a couple of years ago. And I also plan on reading the book Wisdom of Psychopaths. Sounds like it's right up my alley. (laughs) I like, John, a lot of those books that are psychology books, but not for psychologists, more about 
communication, the human condition, uh, things like that. So some of those books are like Influenced by uh, Cialdini, um, How We Decide, um, Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow, Dan Connolly. Oh, that was a great book, Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow. That's one that takes a lot of time to go through because it's so dense. It's an amazing that book. Was a, yeah, that is something else. Um, so I got my Nook thing open. Hey, before, before so, you uh, go to yours, you know, we talked about Michael Lewis beforehand. Uh-huh. Uh, and he has a book, The Undoing Project. And oh, yeah. Is it a bitching about Trump book? No, it's not. <laughs> um, it, it's a great bookend because he talks about uh, Daniel Kahneman and his, I think I'm pronouncing his name right, um, and talks about his mentor who was an Israeli professor. It's very good and it bookends beautifully with Daniel Kahneman's book because it goes a lot into... I read that. I didn't okay. realize that was the name. He wrote a more recent book, um, which was a Trump's Destroying the World book. But yes, I won't read that, that book. I won't read that book. I've read every book that Michael Lewis has written, but I, 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 I alluded to this earlier in our conversation, but I didn't want to be as direct as you're being. And I, I, I read the excerpt of that, that book, and I'm like, that's too political for me, and it's not really what I, I like about Michael Lewis, so I'm going to stay away from that. I forget what that's called. Um, no, but I know which one you mean, yeah. yeah. And, and I'll read it eventually. I do read a lot of what the other side puts out because my theory is you have to actually be open-minded and you have to know what it is you're rejecting. I think that's very true. Um, so I'm going to read um, Killing Crazy Horse and The Wisdom of Psychopaths, which I think fits into that human condition, psychologist for everyday, psychology for everyday use, and I really like that. It's good for business. It's good for interpersonal communication with my spouse, children, friends. Um, so I'm going to read that. I don't know much about it, but the title is definitely engaging. Cool. So what cool. do you have teed up? Um, so there's more of a policy piece, but it's, it's recommended by the Cato Institute. So I'll be curious to see. It's overcharged why Americans pay too much for health care. And I have some idea, but I think this thing, just looking through, it looks like it has a lot of data. Um, one I forgot to mention I did read. It's, an, it's a really not a well-known one. Um, the Chosen Few, it talks about why Jewish culture is the way it is. Because I'm a real believer in how powerful culture is in forming us, and cultures have different strengths and advantages. Well, that, that's a tough culture. These are accomplished people who've been through a lot. I don't much care for their politics, but I respect their intellectual and artistic and economic achievement, and it's not an accident. Um, and so this book was written by some Israelis who, and I'm not going to spoil the story. Um, it is a little dry. It's written by economists, but they do use a lot of evidence as to why Jewish culture is so intellectual and so business-oriented, and it goes way back. It was really well written, um, as long as you can handle the dryness of it. All right. The Chosen Few, very good. And some of the other books that you think that you're going to tackle next? Oh, let me scroll through here. Um, and I'll give you one more I did that you'll like. The Drillmaster of Valley Forge, Baron von Steuben by Lockhart. That was really well done. All right. So I'm reading Blockchain Revolution. It's an older book that's been kind of updated, but I just need to understand 
more of what's going on with that technology, and these guys are evidently it. Um, there's one called the 100-Year Marathon, China's Secret Strategy to place, Replace America as a Global Superpower. And I, I don't think it's very secret. I think they've been pretty open about that. I think so, too. I just read um, AI Superpowers about artificial intelligence. And Ooh, was, let me write that one down. Uh, it's written by a venture capitalist of... I think maybe Chinese descent, maybe Taiwan, Taiwanese, and um, he's done work in both countries. And it's, uh, you know, I'm not a big technology guy, deep diver into technology, but this is going to be the next big thing. Uh, some people will say it's Bitcoin, but this AI technology revolution is going to be an absolute revolution in terms of everything that we do and how we interact and it's going to have big time effects on the economy and jobs and things like that so it was very well done my brother had recommended it to me I can't think of the author um, I'll see if I can find that but um, there, there's one by so Jonathan Tepper is one of John Malden's guys and I love Malden he moved I love John Malden he's one of my favorite economists so Tepper is one of his, like, they work together. They're, they're co-writing a book on technology and the future, um, the myth of capitalism and how we don't really have it in the U.S. And in particular, he gets into monopoly power and oligopoly and the effects of it. Um, not a happy book from what I've seen so far, but an important one. John Molden, he still produces great work, but I, is he like 99 or something like that? He's... He's a 71. Yeah, I thought he was much older. Um, yeah, he's here. I've, been, I've got an offer, to, a standing offer to meet him when I would like. He just discovered self-directed IRAs, and my response was, you know, give me a year, year and a half. I want to finish building my team. I'm so focused on the practice. And plus, if I get along with the guy, and I'm arrogant enough to think I will, um, you know, I could get a lot of business out of it, and I'm not ready for it. Very good. Well, good. So thank you so much. This was a wonderful discussion. I got tons of good ideas. Hopefully I gave you a few. Oh, um, we're going to swap ideas on that app. I'm going to go nuts with that app. You're going to create a monster. Trust me on this. I think I probably will. And um, so with that, uh, if anyone wanted to find out more information about your practice, which is focused on tax reduction strategies, and building wealth through the use of real estate. Is that a good description of your current business model? Yeah. Um, how could they, uh, listeners, if they were curious about you and what you have going on, how could they find you? Taxreductionlawyer.com. Taxreductionlawyer.com. And um, listeners, at my website, uh, www.elliotwealth.com, I have a page on book recommendations. Uh, we'll put something in there that covers all of the books that uh, uh, John and I discussed today, both ones he brought up as well as ones I brought up, which I think is a small list relative to John's. But it'll be on the website. And if you're a listener and haven't been a client of ours yet or aren't a client of ours yet, please um, sign up for a no-cost consultation where we could discuss maybe some books, but also your financial goals and how we can help you increase your financial IQ and win with money. So uh, I'll be back with the next episode of Simply Financial very soon. Again, John, thank you so much. This is a great conversation. I really picked the right guy this year. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of Sage Point Financial Incorporated and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Please note, the information being provided is strictly as a courtesy. When you link to any of the websites provided here, you are leaving this website. We make no representation as to the completeness or accuracy of the information provided at these websites, nor is the company liable for any direct or indirect technical or system issues or any consequences arising out of your access to your use of third-party technologies websites, information, and programs made available through this website. When you access one of these websites, you are leaving our website and assume total responsibility and risk for your use of the websites you are linking to. Securities and advisory services are offered through Sage Point Financial Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC, insurance services offered through Elliott Wealth Management, LLC, not affiliated with Sage Point Financial. Simply Financial is part of the Exvadio Podcast Network. You can find Exvadio podcasts at exvadio.com slash podcast, the Apple Podcasts app, iTunes Store, iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you find podcasts. So join us and stay informed and entertained.